Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Due to budget cuts, the producer for tonight's show is an angry ex-Keebler elf who got fired from his job as a fudge packer. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from the smoke-filled recording studio built here at my house in Concord, North Carolina. In tonight's show, I'm going to talk about what I think the future of the pipe and tobacco world is going to look at. I'm going to respond to uh, the future of pipe smoking. It was a forum thread. Give you my point of view. Uh, might be a little educational in there, but it's going to be a lot of my point of view, so we know what that's worth. Uh, my guest tonight is pipe smoker and uh, NPR radio morning show host Dwight Davis. Dwight's been a uh, been on the air for 40 years, so uh, I'm putting myself up against the fire again. And uh, music tonight is going to be a uh, sound check, that's right, or an air check as we used to call it, of one of Dwight's weekly shows that he does. Mailbag and a rant, all that coming up tonight on the Pipes Magazine radio show. A couple of things to get over real quick before we get on with the show. First of all, this is just a friendly reminder that this weekend is, uh, Saturday is February 14th, Valentine's Day, so you now have a uh, four-day shopping window to get whatever you need. And just because this weekend's going to be all blown away because of Valentine's Day, hey, Friday the 13th is the day before that, so... Should be an unlucky or lucky weekend, depending on how you look at it. Um, Scott Thiele's son, Chris, knocked it out of the park last Saturday night as the host of the Prairie Home Companion. He was the guest host for Garrison Keeler, and he's doing it again this Saturday. So tune in to uh, NPR for Prairie Home Companion. You can also listen to it online as a podcast or... uh, off of their website, prairiehome.org. And last week, when I was down in Miami, Wednesday night stopped at a, a good friend and customer's store, the Havana, uh, the Havana Group Cigar Lounge in Miami Lakes. Always try to end my day there. Stopped in, sat in the back in their wonderful lounge, was uh, smoking a cigar and relaxing, and three of the locals walked in and invited me to sit in and play dominoes with them. If you haven't played dominoes with local Miami natives, it's fast-paced, it's fun, it's loud, it's aggressive, it's uh, it, it's just it's a lot of fun. But the fun part of it was, by the end of it, after spending a couple of hours with them, I uh, had two of them smoking pipes with me, so a couple new pipe smokers there. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go. If you're looking for quality, if you're looking for a variety, and if you're looking for someone with a reputation for nothing but the best, you're looking for CupOfJoes.com. CupOfJoes.com has hundreds of pipes to choose from and thousands of different pipe tobaccos. CupOfJoes.com is also your one-stop shop for Peterson Pipes, their exclusive line of Peterson Kelly Pipes. 
check out their remodeled website at cupofjoes.com. And be sure to like them on Facebook, cupofjoes.com. Quality products at extraordinary prices. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. You're listening to the Pipes Magazine radio show with host Brian Levine. Welcome back. All right, the forum post that started this idea was called the future of pipe smoking and it, and the the gentleman that posted it talked about the increase in taxes and the higher uh, the higher restrictions on where you can and can't smoke uh making it a trend to where uh tobacco smoking has become harder and harder to do some people stop because they can't afford it some people stop because they can't do it anywhere. Some people stop because uh, the perceived health issues involved in pipe smoking or cigar smoking. Um, Let me say, here's where I see the future of pipe smoking. I don't ever see tobacco smoking or tobacco use going away. Don't ever see it happening. Especially here in the United States, I don't ever see us getting to the point where we make tobacco illegal while we have states that are legalizing marijuana on a regular basis now. So with that being said, what I do see it is getting more and more expensive. Uh, What I've always said is tobacco is never going to be more readily available and cheaper than it is now. And we are technically in a heyday or a golden age of pipes and pipe tobacco right now. Uh, in fact, we had Russellette introduce three new blends or four new blends, and the Seattle Pipe Club introduced three new blends just last week. Uh, I know for me at work, we're always looking at new blends and new products, and we've got a new one coming in March, late March, maybe early April. Uh, so, we are in a golden age of the kinds of tobaccos that are available and the kinds of pipes that are available. Now, here's what I do see happening. Uh, you've rewind, rewind the clock back 40 years, and the industry was dramatically bigger. Dramatically bigger. Maybe 25 times bigger than it is right now for the U.S. market on just pipe tobacco. Why is that? Because you had one guy smoking one blend, one pound a week on a regular basis. Light the pipe in the morning, puff on the pipe all day long, and work all the way through the day with that same blend. That was the normal or the norm was one guy smoking one tobacco every week, 
day in, day out. My great-grandfather did that all of his life. Smoked Granger Rough Cut, bought a can on Thursday, smoked it all the way through. That's what he did. What I see the future of pipe smoking changing to is what's happened with alcohol. Uh, It used to be very common for people to stop on the way home from work and have two or three drinks at the bar or uh, have a drink at lunch and then go on go back to work, you know, the famous two martini lunches for lawyers and judges, and then go back to work and then have a drink afterwards. Well, now, with the uh, with the quote-unquote uh, uh, problems of drinking and driving, and the crackdown on that, which I'm saying, uh, that's not a bad thing, alcohol has become a thing to do, maybe have a glass, and then at home... Or maybe have a drink with dinner and then go home, maybe take a taxi. It's not the three or four or five drinks every night. It's maybe a drink or two. And that's what I see happening. I see more people getting involved in pipe smoking. But instead of smoking five or six or seven bowls a day, seven days a week, I see them smoking five or six bowls a week. And not just one blend, but I'd be willing to bet a lot of money that all of you have more than one blend that you're smoking right now. You don't just have one tobacco that you bought. You have multiple different tobaccos that you've got sitting in your house. And you may smoke your favorite most of the time, but you're going to dabble. And that is the future of pipe smoking. The future of pipe smoking is that... We do it for pleasure, we do it for relaxation, we do it after the day is over or on the weekends, or we some of us even do it, we don't do it at all until we get together at a pipe club or go to the smoke shop and sit down with a pipe. So there's the future. Yes, it's going to get more expensive. Yes, it's going to get more restrictive, but we're still going to be able to find our places to have our two or three bowls a, a week. Or possibly find a, you know have to wait for the seasons to change, and then we'll be able to smoke all summer, or all spring, summer, and fall, and then put the pipes away for the winter time because we don't want to go outside and freeze our bowls off. There you go. There's my uh, my view of the future of pipe smoking. Uh, got any other got any slants on that that you want to share? Post them on the Pipes Magazine Radio Show page on PipesMagazine.com. And in just a minute, Dwight Davis. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th president of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco, founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. 
Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes. Or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit sutliff-tobacco.com for information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. This is Internet Radio. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is uh, somebody who is exceedingly familiar to radio and obviously much more talented than the person that hosts this show, but a uh, pipe smoker and program director and morning host of WHRO is Dwight Davis. Dwight, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Great to talk with you. Uh, now, that is in the Norfolk, Hampton, Virginia Beach area? Right. The uh, the locals call it Tidewater, or perhaps Tadwater, <laughs> and it encompasses actually five or six cities all wedged up against each other here in the southeast corner. Uh, it also goes by the name Hampton Roads. But uh, in any case, our radio station serves the entire market with uh, classical music. We're a full-time classical station what what came first the pipe smoking or the, your love of music well i'd have to say the love of music I, I stumbled on this kind of music somewhere in my teenage years and got hooked and it uh, it's been with me ever since it hasn't lost its its novelty or its luster and i'm really lucky to be at the job that i'm in sit there and, and play music how, how good could that be <laughs> so you you get paid to say what you're going to play play it enjoy it and then talk about it pretty much so yeah yeah it's uh it's it's a plum job when you come right down to it uh, we've some of us older announcers have had to uh, adapt to the new technology but uh, other than that uh, it's it's still a, a wonderful job when you graduated from college, what was your uh, what was your goal then? Well, now that's a, that takes me off in a different direction. My uh, degree was in biology, <laughs> and <laughs> I wasn't uh, actually quite sure what I was going to do with that. But uh, I didn't have to decide all that quickly because Uncle Sam had me in uniform not long after I graduated. And I spent a couple of years in Germany, and I was very thankful for that. It was at the height of the Vietnam War, so uh, Germany was a good place to be, and I heard lots of great music over there. And then you come back and you get into you get into radio. Well, by by chance, really, I was uh, actually teaching high school biology, and the local classical station, commercial station, had lost an announcer and was looking for one, and I 
walked in off the street and said, I'd rather like to try it. And fortunately, the uh, woman who ran the station must have seen something in me. She gave me a chance. I was terrible, wretched at the beginning, but uh, I've learned. So I'm still with it. But we have a few listeners of this show that will tell you that I was, well, I still am wretched sometimes. <laughs> it takes a while. It takes a while to get over that microphone fright. Most most uh, people new to radio have mic fright. So you've got over 40 years of on-the-air experience now. That is correct, and most of that's been in the morning. I start at 5 a.m., <laughs> which is not, not my idea of a good time, but uh, that, so be it. That's where I am, and uh, it's uh, it's been a good run. So do you, wait, i got to ask you, because if it was me, I'd just stay up all night, go to work, and then come home and sleep. <laughs> no, I couldn't quite do that. Uh, got usual family obligations. Uh, had twin daughters, and they kept us uh, going for quite a while. And uh, I've, I've adapted my, my life around that early morning schedule. Wow. So when did, the, uh, when did you start smoking a pipe? Well, I, I was trying to remember that uh, prior to our conversation here. My wife bought me a Joby pipe many, many years ago, probably about 30 years ago. And uh, I thought, okay, I smoked it as best I knew how then, and, and then sort of uh, put it aside. I don't know where that pipe is nowadays. I wish I had it. But a, a few years later, let's say... Uh, uh, late 70s, I went into a, a thrift store and there was a, a Dunhill LB <laughs> shell for 298 and I thought, well, now I think I'm going to pick this one up. And so I did. And uh, then it started. What they call uh, pipe acquisition disorder, I think. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't, don't ask me how many I have. First of all, I haven't counted, and secondly, I don't want my wife to know. <laughs> and, and since you're on the radio frequently, she's not going to listen to this show anyway, so if you said you had more than 100, she wouldn't get mad. Yeah, yeah correct. Yeah. <laughs> when, when that topic comes up, I always uh, point to the shoes in the closet, in her closet, so I think we're even there. <laughs> uh, had, you, had you smoked prior to the pipe, or what... Not at all. Not at all. Uh, I never, never was enchanted with cigarettes when I was young, and uh, I, I had not smoked at all until uh, I picked up a pipe in it. I found it uh, once I settled into it, very, very satisfying. What kind of tobaccos did you start off with? Well, I guess like everybody else, some aromatics. I think she probably bought me some, uh, some aromatics and. They were okay for a while, but it didn't take long to discover there's, there's more out there than that sweet stuff. And, and I, I've been smoking uh, mostly English blends and uh, straight Virginias now for, for several years. Uh, was that, so that Dunhill, that, that thrift shop Dunhill for uh, $2.98 really kind of got you started down the road of the, the high-grade pipes? Yes, it, it really did. Uh, it smokes wonderfully. It's a, what's the date on that? 61, I believe. It's a 
beautiful <laughs> shell. And uh, once I discovered that and the uh, the better tobaccos, then I started uh, looking around and, and seeing what I could pick up. Uh, I enjoy the, the thrift store hunts, as most of us do, I think. I've uh, bought a few new pipes and had some given to me, but it's it's a real thrill to go in there and find an old uh, Dunhill or Barling for five or ten dollars. Are the uh, are the English pipes more your more your favorites in your style? You know, I, it's it's hard to it's hard to sort it all out. I don't really go by brand. Um, I, I have a lot of Petersons. I guess a lot of us do. We start uh, start with Petersons. I think uh, they're fine smokers and and uh, very attractive. But uh, I've uh, let's see what what do we have here? We've got I've got some Costellos, a couple of very nice Costellos, um, uh, so a few of the uh, of the Danish. I'm not too fond of the the uh, uh, big. Uh, Danish uh, freehands, but I have a few of those too, and uh, just, it's a real mixed bag. Some Savinelli's, always dependable. A couple of Stanwell's, again, always dependable. And uh, a a real uh, mixed bag, as I say. Uh, Back in the the old days of radio, when it was okay to smoke in in the studio, did you bring a pipe with you to work? You know, I did not because I think even in those early days, uh, the boss, well, it wasn't so much the boss, but the engineers. The engineers, if they saw a cigarette or a pipe, they would make all sorts of noises about how it's going to affect the circuitry, and uh, <laughs> and so uh, I think it was prohibited even when I started. So, no. So the pipe has always been an after-work and relaxing-in-the-evening kind of thing for you? Exactly, or uh, Saturday afternoon in the uh, in the garage when I've uh, actually made a few pipes, uh, smoke while I'm while I uh, sand them or work on the bits, that sort of thing. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. Usually when I have time to relax and, and sit and read or or listen to some music, that's that's when I will smoke and enjoy it. Are you finding it harder and harder to find pipes out in uh, thrift shops and secondhand stores? You know, I, I am not actually, and I don't know why that should be. Because there, uh, every time I go to a pipe show, I, I get stories of uh, people like me hunting uh, for pipes through thrift shops. But I've no things are still <laughs> pickings are still pretty good lately. <laughs> and you've been you've actually been going to the Richmond Pipe Show for several years. So. Yes, I have. Yeah, it's one of those things. Well, as as we all know, you go to a pipe show and you walk in and you, you your eyes get wide and you start walking around and it just it's almost overwhelming. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great to see and talk to the to the people who are selling the pipes or making the pipes. And to pick up a few and uh, some several cans of tobacco. Uh, have you ever uh, traded off any of the pipes that you found? Yes, I have. Uh, I had some pretty nice Sheratons, uh, executives and distinctions, and Sheraton just doesn't do much for me. The the kind of crazy shapes are uh, 
not really to my liking. I have a half dozen now standard shaped Sheridans, but yeah, I've traded off, uh, traded them off uh, over the years. So there's there's advice for the listeners that if you find a pipe and you know it's at least a decent pipe and it's not your style or to your liking, buy it, bring it to a pipe show or a pipe club and see if you can trade it off to somebody. Exactly. We have a we have a small pipe club here, and there's a there's a lot of uh, swapping going on. Uh, people will bring in half a dozen or so every monthly meeting and pull one out, and somebody will say, "Whoa, wow, what what would you like in exchange for that?" And, and there's been quite a quite a bit of that lately. It's a it's a, a, a good way to take a hobby and uh, turn a little uh, increase into it for you. It's um, you and the other person may see the trade as advantageous to both, and you can't do better than that. You're getting each getting something you want, sort of upgrading your collection. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk about music, and we'll talk about a great program that uh, that Dwight does weekly. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> In fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with Dwight. Uh, so you do a you do a daily morning show Monday through Friday, Correct. and what all is involved in the morning show? Well, uh, actually, with the uh, I never thought I'd say this, but with the uh, computer program that we have, it's it's much easier to do now, and I've done it long enough that I can. Uh, I can do it pretty much on the spot. Uh, if uh, if it's ten minutes after seven and I need a, a five-minute uh, up-tempo piano piece, I can find it very quickly and insert it into the system and get it on the air very quickly. So that's that's made it much easier. In terms of uh, programming, it's uh, it's something that you, not many people can. Uh, come to that sort of thing 
cold and, and make it work. Uh, a lot of experience is needed to know what works on the radio. There's a lot of great music out there. Some of it doesn't belong on the radio. Some of it doesn't belong on the radio in the morning. In the morning, you like to keep things uh, up-tempo, get people up and going, but not make the music too aggressive. So it's a, it's a fine balance, and uh, I think I've hit it. I should have after all these years. Uh, so it's, it's easy to execute, but the, uh, the, the, the knowledge of what works uh, takes a while to build. So there is a there, is there also a time a length of time that you want to keep a morning show piece versus a an afternoon or an evening show piece of music? Yeah, yeah, there is. Uh, my rule of thumb is is nothing longer than maybe eight or ten minutes. After all, you have traffic reports. You people want to know what uh, what the weather's doing. They want to know how to dress in the morning. Uh, whether to take the umbrella and close the windows, that sort of thing. So uh, you have to keep uh, the listeners constantly uh, up to date on what's happening, and an occasional newscast gets dropped in. So, uh, yeah, there is there is a time limit. You don't put on 30-minute uh, symphonies in the morning, or at least we don't. Yeah. Some <laughs> patients might. Somebody somebody be getting up in the morning, get their cup of coffee, turn you on, and there'd be a 30-minute symphony, and they'd be asleep on their cup of coffee. Right, right. And then they may get in the car or go do, do something else and come back and it's over and they don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, do you also, so you also deal with like a national news feed? Yeah, we, uh, we have a sister station. We have a unique uh, scenario in this market. We have two full-time NPR st- stations. Mm-hmm. Mine is all classical music, which leaves the other one, uh, a lot of airtime for the various uh, public radio programs, news and information programs. So they do the news in depth. We do just a, a quick uh, touch base at the top of the hour in the morning. That's about it. As I'd like to say, just to show, just so people will know that the world is not blown up. <laughs> and then we get on with the music. So they, so you get breakfast with Bach, and they get car talk. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Or morning edition. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, speaking of breakfast, I usually uh, brew my coffee right there in the studio. <laughs> We're not supposed to because the engineers don't like that. They think it pulls too much current and may blow some circuits, but it uh, hasn't happened yet. Sounds like we need to get some engineers to loosen up a little bit. Yeah, I know it. I know it. Uptight bunch of people. Right. And then once a week, you produce a show that I've listened to a couple of uh, a couple of uh, episodes of it, and it's called From the Parlor. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting show. It, I, it started years ago. I started it years ago, sort of on a whim. We used to do a request program, and I would get requests from time to time. Could you play? Uh, Oh, I don't know. When you and I were young, Maggie, my grandmother used to sing that all the time. And I thought, you know, there must be an audience for this sort of thing. So I started the show, and it's become uh, very, very popular, not only with the older folks who remember those songs, but uh, some of the young folks, too, because a lot of that music is just, it's old-fashioned and it's sentimental, but it's it's good uh, of its kind, so uh, it's uh, been sustained now for several years. Essentially, it's a it's a uh, Victorian parlor show, what 
that you would have heard a hundred years ago in in a in a music room or a living room of a house. So it's it's homemade music. So instead of turning on the uh, the record player and listening to a record, or even worse, the the Edison player, right? They'd retire to the to the parlor, sit down with a piano and maybe a or maybe another instrument and play these songs. Exactly, exactly. That it, it was a really different time back then because the the uh, young lady of the house would probably be expected to be able to play the piano passively. And uh, folks were expected to be able to read the, or at least sing the sheet music that may have been stacked uh, next to the piano. We've come a long way from that, but it still has its appeal. And the, uh, the show is, is still uh, pretty popular. What? How hard is it to find music from that era that's been recorded and recorded well enough for broadcast? Well, I, I sort of loosen the restrictions on well enough for broadcast on that show <laughs> because uh, some of that music was actually recorded a hundred years ago and there are techniques to, to make it sound better but it still has that old sound and I think that that sort of lends a, a credibility to the show so I, I, I relax those restrictions on sound but uh, to answer the question it's not that hard anymore Almost everything is out there. We get we get uh, calls from time to time. Oh, oh, I have this collection of John McCormick or uh, Enrico Caruso recordings. Could you use them? And I I have to say no. I'm sorry. It's all available either on CD or for download. Yeah. So it's uh, it's all out there. But the problem is, and this this I think applies across the board. Most of that. Uh, Music. Well, most music is, is ephemeral. It's temporary. Uh, you, it makes the top ten and then disappears uh, because it's not all that substantial. So in any era, you're going to get the, uh, a lot of songs, and not all of them are going to be worth listening to 100 years later. So the, what I have to do is make sure I get the right uh, quality music for that show, and that that does tend to limit because there are uh, there are some pieces out there, little piano pieces, for example, that, that are completely uh, uh, fluffy. There's not much substance to them, and uh, you can't play too many of those, or you're going to lose your audience. How long will it take you to program the music for a one-hour show? Well, I have all the uh, CDs, or else all of the, a lot of the music in the computer, and uh, it's a question of saying, okay, now what did we do last week or the week before? We don't want to repeat that, uh, and I need a certain amount of piano music. I need a certain amount of vocal music, uh, that sort of thing. So it 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 takes at this point because I've been doing it so long. It takes probably a forty minutes or so to to lay out a program, and then uh, an hour real-time to record it. Wow, that is really quick. Yes, it is. It is, but uh, it's it's one of those things where I, I, I know the repertoire, and I know, I know where the discs are that I can pull down, and uh, it, uh, it seems to have been working, even on that uh, short schedule. 
now all your more recent shows are available to be played online at any time anybody wants all they have to do is go to whro.org and click on uh, personalities and get to dwight and they're all sitting right there and i i've had a couple of playing in the background working and it's just talk about a modern technology that makes it wonderful they are all available uh, as as uh, on on demand, as they say. And uh, every once in a while, I go back and listen to see to remind myself of of uh, what I haven't played in a while. And then the other program you do is called Bird Notes, and I'll let you describe it because it sounds like you it sounds like you've occupied every bit of your free time with something with some hobby of some sort. Pretty, pretty much. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I hit on birds and bird watching. I think before I discovered the music, and certainly before I picked up a pipe, and it's something that's always stuck with me. And I, I wish I had more time to get out and, and take my binoculars and go out in the field. But uh, it's it's nice just to think about. Oh, I don't know this bird or that bird, or maybe one in the news or. Or something pops up uh, about migration, or uh, somebody sees a rare bird, and just I just write up a little uh, two, three, four minute piece and drop that in. That's another piece that, or another segment that's become very popular. I think a lot of, uh, and, and I don't have any data on this, but a lot of. Uh, Classical music listeners also like birds. They either feed them or they're bird watchers and head out into the fields. So uh, that's that's another uh, program that I just sort of started on a whim, and then all of a sudden uh, I can't stop it or they'll storm the station. And I'm worried about you when you when you think about retiring because who could take it over, and then all your listeners are going to come and hunt you down. That discussion has already been uh, been broached at the station. <laughs> uh, I'm not getting any younger, but uh, uh, things change. As, as somebody says at, at our station, uh, if things didn't change in broadcasting, we'd all be watching Howdy Doody still. <laughs> and, and listening to the War of the Worlds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, as long as, the, as, long as the, the classical music, that's our main... Uh, that's our main function. As long as the classical music is there, I think I think folks will survive. Now, and you mentioned earlier that you've also made some pipes. Was that just another hobby that you did? Another idea that you thought, well, I'll try this and see what happens. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, I, I picked up one of those kits uh, and just the block of the wood and the and the. Uh, bit sticking out of it and I started fashioning a pipe they, the early ones of course are I, I either have gotten rid of them or keep them hidden uh, of, of the uh, I don't know three or four dozen that I've made there are a few that are acceptable they actually look like pipes and they smoke well but it's it's uh, it teaches you patience I know that I guess all pipe makers will say that but uh, it's it's fun. It's it's just uh, something to do on a Saturday afternoon. Have you gotten to the point where you got some of the the tools and a lathe and and stuff like that? Or are you still working with basic tooling? 
No, actually, I do have uh, a lathe, which is just uh, very, very helpful. I don't know what I did before that. Well, I made pretty bad pipes. That's what I did. <laughs> but uh, the lathe, the lathe is very handy, and uh, uh, it's it's uh, helped me fashion some some reasonably good pipes. Do you think there might be a chance that when you retire from the uh, radio business that there might be a uh, Dwight Davis line of pipes? Uh, not, uh, I don't think so, no. Uh, although I have, I have made and sold a few to some friends. Um, I know a couple of pipe makers, and I, I see their works, and I think, boy, if I'm going to even, even get near to what they're doing, it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of work. So I, I don't think it's, uh, going to be a commercial venture, just, uh, Something to do, something to keep me occupied. Something to do when the birds aren't flying. Exactly. We will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Uh, I'm ready. Fire away. What's your favorite pipe? Best smoking, I guess it would have to be a 1954 Barling Fossil. It's a jewel. And the blast on it will make you cry. What's your favorite tobacco? Ah, now that is a tough one. It used—I used to like 965 from Dunhill, but they've—I think it's changed a little bit. I really like uh, Cornell and Deal's Pirate Cake, heavy Latakia, and that's—that's that's what I'm leaning toward. But uh, and I know you asked a favorite, but the McCraney Virginia tobaccos are wonderful too so take your pick <laughs> if you're smoking a real heavy latakia and you're outside watching birds does that scare the birds away no but inside it scares my wife away so <laughs> <laughs> oh we don't want to do that quite yet do we no uh what is your favorite drink you know i would have to say a good cabernet I don't go in for much for mixed drinks, but a, a good Cabernet or, or Barolo uh, can't beat it. Oh, a Barolo. Man after my own tongue. Uh, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Actually, it's going to sound funny, but a book. I, I have music around me all day, and that's fine. And occasionally I will put something on at night, but... Uh, a book and a and a, a pipe and I'm I'm in heaven. It makes perfect sense to me because it's a break away from what you do all day. Yeah, exactly. And the final question: Any particularly favorite pipe smoking related memory? Mm. Well, it, I guess it would have to be my father who smoked uh, almost exclusively K Woody pipes. And almost exclusively Granger tobacco. And uh, I'm not a fan of either, except the really early K. Woodies from the 30s. And Burley doesn't do much for me, but it, that's where I first uh, encountered uh, a pipe and a pipe smoker, and my father. And again, to hear some of Dwight's shows, go to whro.org, and I'm pretty sure they're probably available on iTunes as well. Uh, the, I believe so. The Bird Notes is available on iTunes. I know that. 
but the parlor show, I'm not sure about that yet. But uh, the website is where you would find that. Yeah, they're all sitting there, and no need for iTunes then. So, right, right. Dwight, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you, Brian. It's been wonderful talking with you, and I hope to see you at a pipe show here sometime this year. And and since you got to get up in the morning, I'll wish you a good night. All right. Thank you very much. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Craftsmanship, history, tradition. These are the hallmarks of all quality products. From the finest wines bottled in France to the most highly engineered automobiles manufactured in Germany, Denmark has been the one country in the world where craftsmanship, history and tradition have for centuries created the finest pipe tobaccos in the world. Since 1887, the Halberg family have led the pipe tobacco industry through their ownership of Mac Baron Tobacco Company and they continue to create the most sought-after blends in the world today, just as they did over 100 years ago. In keeping with their long history of providing the world with the best tobacco on earth, Mac Barron is proud to announce their newest creation, Modern Virginia, as a loose-cut version and a flake version. Bright and dark, rich Virginia tobaccos have been combined with just a hint of burley for strength in this soft and smooth smoke with delicious fruit undertones. As the world leader in flake tobacco production, Mac Barron is sure that this blend will appeal to the true connoisseurs of traditional Virginia flake tobacco, as well as those who like their tobaccos on the sweeter side. Enjoy the culmination of centuries of experience by picking up a tin of Modern Virginia from Mac Barron Tobacco Company. Available at fine tobacconists everywhere. And we are back, and before we get into the music, don't forget upcoming dates on your calendar besides Valentine's Day, International Pipe Smoking Day, February 20th. Uh, the St. Louis Pipe Show in St. Charles, Missouri, or Missouri, is uh, February 28th. New York Pipe Show, March 7th. And then Raleigh, the Triangle Area Pipe Smokers, April 11th, Raleigh, North Carolina. And the big one, Chicago Pipe Show. Yeah, the Chicagoland International Pipe and Tobacchiana Show, May 2nd and 3rd. 2015 in St. Charles, Illinois, not to be confused with St. Charles, Missouri. Uh, really, the Chicago show gets going a couple days before that. All right, so here's what I did. Yeah, back in the old, old days of uh, real on-the-air, over-the-air radio all the time, we used to do what's called an air check, and there were actually people that got paid to do this. They'd record a show and send it off to the people that wanted recordings of it, but here is an excerpt from one of Dwight's shows. Just to give you a taste of it, it's from the parlor. Here is a song that the Dublin-born Victor Herbert knew quite well, I'm sure. It was one of Moore's Irish melodies, one of the better known of that collection of Irish folk, tone, uh, folk songs. Believe me, if all those endearing young charms. Here are Patricia Sabin and Michael Goldthorpe. Which I gaze on so fondly 
The old Irish melody, Believe Me, of all those endearing young charms, sung here by Patricia Sabin and Michael Goldthorpe with Margaret Lyon at the piano. On our From the Parlor program for this Sunday afternoon, Dwight Davis with you. Thank you for listening. I think it would take me about 400 years of on the air every day to get to sound that good. That was Dwight doing the announcement in the beginning and the end of it. And again, the website, WHR. O dot o r g. Click on Dwight's picture, and you'll get to his uh, you'll get to his shows there. Hope you check it out. It is a lot of fun, relaxing listening. Monday, Monday. you've got mail. Tuesday, Wednesday, you've got mail. Thursday, Friday, you've got mail. Let's get through some stuff in the mail. Uh, John Seiler writes in response to last week's show. Hi, Brian. Hard to take Florida when stuck here in the snow. Yeah, it was 77 degrees last Wednesday when I was there. Uh, He says, sounds like your trade show is quite a different experience. And then he says, of course, Niels Thompson is a name with which I am not familiar. He sounds like he enjoys his pipe making. His shop sounds very interesting. He carries everything for his customers. Of course, anyone that plays guitar must be okay. Music, I liked slow smoking. Uh, Rant part one, U.S. Air complaint form being too short and they tried to snowball you. Why would you think they would really be interested in your comments? I'll wait until part two next week, and that's coming up here in a minute. Uh, Caucus writes, uh, superb as always, Brian. Uh, Have a Bjorn England pipe. Uh, smoked it once, and I uh, guess, uh, let's see, what else did he say? Niels Thompson will be on 
my two visit list for the next visit to Berlin, hopefully this summer. I met him in person at the World Championship in Cologne in October and had the pleasure of spending the gala dinner in his company. Great guy, cool stories, wonderful piper. I can absolutely, definitely agree with you. I can't wait to hang out with Niels uh, in uh, in Berlin. Can't wait to get to Berlin. Uh, Pitchfork wrote, uh, great news. I haven't purchased one yet, but I've admired his pipes on his website for some time. Just waiting for the right one to come along. And then going back to uh, the show with Regis McCafferty, uh, Big Dog Guru Scott says, A shout out to Regis from the Albuquerque area. Just happened upon this post and started to reminisce about our days with the Albuquerque Pipe Club and Regis sharing his vast knowledge of pipes and pipe tobacco. Unfortunately, it has been too long since we last spoke, so I hope you and your family are well. It's good to see you are still smoking a pipe and writing those great books. Best wishes, Scott. Uh, Mike Stanley writes, Regis is a heck of a nice guy, a talented writer, and forgot more about pipes and tobacco than I could ever hope to know. Pay attention to what he says. Uh, Pylorns. James writes, man, that was a good podcast. Regis' wealth of knowledge and history is excellent. While I haven't read any of his books yet, I'm adding them to my Amazon wish list, especially the New Mexico books as it's tied closely to my family and the anthropology aspect of it. Uh, Mr. Motoyoshi in Japan writes, I've heard some members complain about hearing interviews from people they don't know. I find it to be one of the best aspects of this show. Regis sure had an interesting story with pipes. That job interview is every member's dream. Hearing that he amassed over 300 pipes is comforting when I look at my 50-plus collection and think I need to thin the herd. (laughs) I know the same feeling. Uh, I'll be sure to check out some of his books as well. Uh, The pipe school issue, going back to the charges for, uh, uh, for pipe training, Uh, The pipe school will only continue if people are willing to pay it. Another black sheep of our hobby joins the herd. Like charging $30 plus for a 50 gram tin of Balkan Sobrani or even more for Penzance and Stonehaven. If people are willing to pay, there's always going to be someone willing to take the money. Tis a shame. Looking forward to the next show. Yeah, and he touches on an interesting subject because on, on current made tobaccos that are in limited supply yeah they get bit up and run up and tripled up and hey you know what it's not anybody's fault it's what the market's allowing so let the market do it uh one more comment about the cost for stuff well maybe two uh three P.A. Pipe Guy writes, I didn't understand the sense of outrage then or now. Don't like the price or concept? Don't go. I agree. Uh, St. Valentine writes, Wow, that's a princely sum. I was thinking about a weekend course with Ludwig Lorenz in Austria. He charges 398 euros for a two-day course, including a high-end freehand pipe. Too bad Austria is about 1,000 kilometers from where I live. And uh, Zach Hemrick, who's actually a pipe maker himself, says, I can think of a few guys who I would pay $1,000 a day to work with in the U.S. Grant Batson, Jeff Grasick, Todd Johnson, Tawny Nielsen, George Debos, the best stem pipe repair guy in the country, and Rad Davis. 
So I'd blow $6,000 in the process to be exposed to some of the best pipe guys around and shave three years off my learning curve. Priceless. There you go. There's a there's an answer from a relatively newer pipe maker. And uh, let's see, that wraps it up for the mailbag. Don't forget the uh, Juvenile Diabetes Fundraiser coming up in... Uh, End of March, so if you've got anything to donate, please contact me, Brian, at PipesMagazine.com. And in just a minute, Rant Time Part 2. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, It's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, We've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco. Blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellandDeal.com. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. Rant Part 2, here we go, U.S. Air. I hope you're listening. All right, so I still haven't had a response or contact with anybody that knows how to read or pick up a phone or call, but here's what actually happened, all right? We got to the airport on Friday. Uh, We got there. We had one bag to check in. We needed our boarding passes. I go up to the counter, go up to the machine, print out the boarding pass for me, get the lady behind the counter to print out the boarding pass for my daughter. I get boarding passes and get my bag checked for free. Now, we go through security. We get there. Everything's fine. We're in plenty of time. I want to be the first one on the flight uh, for my zone because I want to make sure that our important luggage in our important carry-on luggage gets to where it's going. It's got my daughter's medicine in it. I want to make sure that I get on there first and I know exactly where it is. So the first one in zone one, that's us, walk up there. My ticket says that I am not a uh, not checked in customer. Okay, so what does that mean? So they push me off to the side, and instead of dealing with me right then and there, the lady says, well, hang on, we'll get this fixed. And she looks, and apparently my seat's already been reassigned. Now, I tell her that we need two seats together. 
She waits about five, ten minutes. More people are going on. I go back over to her and I tell her, you know what? I need to get on the plane. I need to make sure that our, that our carry-on does not have to get checked. This stuff cannot get checked. It needs to be in an overhead, and that's why I'm here early, on time, ready to go. She says, oh, just a minute, just a minute. Long story short, she sends us on the plane. Now, this is where they're in trouble with me and with the federal government. She sends me on the plane to put my overhead stuff, our carry-on stuff, in an overhead compartment so that we don't lose space, but I don't have a confirmed ticket or seat for the plane. The other problem that they have, and we'll follow up with this on probably rant part three of this one, because I'm really still pissed off at them about it, is my checked bag. They're not supposed to put a bag on a plane for a passenger that is not checked into the flight, but my checked bag is on the plane and ready to go. Now, who screwed up? What screwed up? I don't know. I'm not going to say the lady's name at the at the gate agent, but... I think what happened is I think they put one of their employees in that seat of mine and gave it away and figured that they could bump me back. My daughter and I ended up getting two seats, two seats way in the back of the plane. Our overhead, our carry-on luggage was 20 aisles in front of us. It was a painful, long flight, and U.S. Air still refuses to talk to me. They're still getting emails from me, though. They're still getting emails. Uh, speaking of emails, please, got any comments, post them on the forums. Email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com if you got any questions. If you could, we'd appreciate it. If you're listening on Stitcher or iTunes, if you're registered on either one of those, please leave us a rating or review on there. We do appreciate those, and it helps the show get found. If you know any other pipe smokers and they're not listening to the Pipes Magazine radio show, please share the show with them. Remember, new shows every Tuesday. So with all that, we'll wrap this up. Thank you to Dwight for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to till we meet Careful with that budge. Sorry, Ernie. It's the rookie's first time covering cookies. Do I have to use so much fudge? We're elves. We always use lots.